Putin announced that he was annexing illegally. He didn't say it illegal, but it was an illegal annexation of four of the regions of Ukraine. There was this big ordeal there in Moscow where he announced it and then uh, indicated that they would do anything required to protect those territories, even using nuclear weapons, which raised the whole tension of the world leaders because any use of nuclear weapons could escalate into a, a, a very disastrous nuclear war. And we know what nuclear weapons do. We saw it from World War II, the devastation when that hydrogen bomb was dropped on Nagasaki and the, just the enormous amount of land and, and casualties with people that it caused. We don't want to go there. We've advanced in many dangerous ways from the days of slingshots and swords and guns and cannons to nuclear weapons. And I know in our church, there's a lot of debate in our culture about weapons and and private ownership of weapons. And I know a lot of you have rifles and you have bows and you have knives and a lot of you are handgun owners. You have concealed weapon permits. And I don't know of anybody here that owns a nuclear weapon. But I want to tell you, every single person in this room and online has a concealed weapon this morning right inside your mouth. It's called the tongue. And James spends a lot of time in this book talking about the tongue. In fact, he almost mentions it every single chapter, but particularly in chapter 3. In chapter 1, he says, he, he reminds us to, to listen first before you speak and be slow to become angry. He, he says that this is pure religion to bridle your tongue. He tells us in chapter 4 not to slander one another, not to be grumblers. And chapter 5 talks about confessing our sins to each other. But chapter 3, almost that entire chapter is devoted to this instrument called the tongue. And the tongue is very powerful. It can be a weapon for good. It can be a, a weapon for evil. When I was a little boy, my parents taught me this jingle. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can never hurt me. Anybody else learn that? Yes. That's a lie. Yes, because you can, cover, you can recover from a bruise and your broken bones will heal, but some of us are carrying around wounds from words that have lasted decades. Something said in anger, something hurtful, something demeaning, and, and it's stayed with us. It's impacted our lives in a very bad way. Words are powerful. Words are, are so, so powerful. And I want to encourage you, as James, we go through this passage in James, really to follow the simple advice, weigh your words before you say your words. Weigh your words before you say your words. Consider what you're about to say and make it worthwhile because sometimes all it takes is a different approach to saying the same thing or a similar thing in a very different way. If you want to know how impactful just changing words are, learn from this video that's going to be showed to you right now.
do to my sign? I wrote a sign, but in different words. Thanks, love. Same thing, it's different words. What would God do through you if you weighed your words? Let God speak life through them. What an impact they would have. So I want to look at James chapter 3. We're going to go uh, through most of that chapter. And I believe there's three um, filters or three items on a checklist, three questions we should be asking ourselves about the words we speak. First one is this, is my teaching biblical and bold? It says in James chapter 3, verses 1 through 2, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. You know, the tongue can do some incredible things, and one of those is to teach God's truth. And some of us have been in a position where you've been called teacher, but you don't have to be a teacher by name to actually teach. You could, you could be a mentor. You could be someone who's helping someone one by one. You could be in a small group and having an influence. Parents, you could be teaching your children. Never be called teacher. In fact, parents are called to teach their children. And all of us as believers are called to obey the Great Commission, to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, and then what? Teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. So we all have a responsibility to teach others. It may not be in a formal setting, like in front of a classroom, but we need to pass on what we've learned. I had a conversation with Keola this week. He came in my office and just shared what God had been doing in his life. And it was so exciting to see where he's come from and all the, the horrible things that he's been through in his past, some really dark times, some real struggles. But he says, I'm in a place now where God's taught me so much through that. I want to pass that on to others. I want to help men and other people learn from what I've learned. So whether they can avoid making the same mistakes or if they made the same mistakes, you know that there's hope for them. I said, Kill, that's what we all should be doing. All of us have things we've learned, that we've experienced, that we should be passing on to others, to our kids, to our grandkids, to other people within the church. God feeds people through our words. In Proverbs 10, 21, the lips of the righteous feed many. Our words become nourishing spiritually to other people. Opinions don't matter much. Nobody needs to hear your opinion or my opinion. There's millions of them out there, but what makes a difference, what really feeds the soul, is God's truth. That's why when we weigh our words, we need to be asking, is this me and my opinion, or is this God and what he says is true? And in order to know what God says is true, we have to have a discipline to study God's word, to be disciplined in studying God's word. A lady came to me once and asked me if I would just not work so hard on the sermon all week, and just wait until Sunday morning and pray that God would give me the message to give to the congregation. A part of that terrifies me. You know, I like the idea of not working on a sermon all week. I don't like the idea of coming before the church and possibly not having a message and God whispering in my ear and saying something like, oh, you jerk. I said, you had all week to prepare and you didn't. You know, it's kind of lazy not to prepare. Think about anybody who's, who's in their trade, your doctor, a musician, an artist, an athlete who's not preparing but just shows up. No, there's work done behind the scenes. The same true if you're a teacher or if you're a preacher. It says in Timothy, uh, the second chapter uh, of the second letter that Paul wrote to this guy named Timothy, young pastor, he said, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker 
That's effort, a worker who, who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. And so I do pray that God would speak to me on Sunday, but I don't pray that on Sunday morning. I pray that on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. I want God to speak to me every single day to get ready for Sunday so I have something worthwhile to bring to the congregation. We all should spend time in God's word knowing God is is this what you believe? Is this what you want me to teach? And I believe that God speaks. He speaks through this book. He speaks through the Holy Spirit. And it's a profound thing to be a spokesman for God. It's a dangerous thing too. We don't flippantly say that God told me, unless he truly has. Some people use the God card. And I sometimes wonder, did God really speak to you? Or is that you just putting a stamp on it of authority saying God said it? Because you're going to be held accountable for that. We want to make sure that what we're hearing God say through the Spirit lines up with what what He's already said in His Word. They always concur. They always align with one another. And when God speaks through you, here's the other part, is you have to have the courage then to speak it. Sometimes God will whisper something to you. Sometimes God will show you something in Scripture, and you go, oh boy, that's not going to go over well. And that's why we have to have courage in speaking God's Word. Here's what Paul also said to Timothy in that second chapter. He says, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching but have itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. I believe that we're seeing this in the church today. With this online church and sermons you can tap into anytime, people are saying, you know what? I like listening to that person a lot better because I can kind of stand back and just take what I want and skip over things. And, And it's real common today to find a speaker and I know one very popular speaker who has best-selling books, has a great TV ministry, who's actually gone public to say, people have enough negative news in their lives. My job is to speak positive news. My job is to tell them how much God loves them and he wants to bless their lives. Now, that's true. God does love them. He does want to bless their lives. But the Bible also says we have to repent of our sins. We have to, we have to um, lay down ourselves like on the cross before the Lord. There's some hard things that we have to deal with within our Christian lives. God wants us to be um, true to his word. Yes, Jesus is our redeemer, but yes, he is also the judge. And sometimes truth will be hard to hear. It'll be hard to give, and for those who hear it, it'll be hard to give. That's why Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4 to speak the truth in love, because truth can hurt. And I don't like to tell people that, that I'm about to share you the brutal truth because, because truth doesn't have to be brutal. It may hurt, but brutality sounds violent. Jesus never had to preface anything by saying, hey, let me tell you the brutal truth. I think we need to be like doctors who looked at the results and say, okay, there's a real danger in your life right now. And just look someone in the eye and say, can I be real honest with you? Th- this is where you're at. This is what you're dealing with. And these are the consequences if you continue down this path. I mean, we have to speak the truth, and you speak it in love. I think sometimes we burn bridges by bringing too much heat. And we burn the bridge and have no opportunity to bring that person to Christ. We want to bring enough warmth that opens their hearts, that melts their defenses, and makes them receptive to the Word of God so that they'll take it in their heart and in time absorb it and have their lives changed James is not discouraging us from being teachers as much as reminding us, you'll be accountable for what you say, so weigh your words carefully. And not only weigh what you're going to say, make sure that you're, you're doing what you say you're doing. Practice what you preach. That requires a commitment to living God's word. 
The temptation is to be enamored with the idea that I can influence other people's lives, but my life's not being influenced. I want a platform and an audience to hear what I have to say. But your, but your best preaching will come from your living, your example. Your walk will speak louder than your talk. And Jesus said, I tell you, on that day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. My job is not to avoid the truth. My job is not to be an entertainer. My job is to communicate in the best way possible God's truth. And he says the person uh, who's a leader will stumble. We all stumble in many ways, but he said when it comes to your mouth, you are perfect if you have control over your mouth. doesn't mean you're, you never, ever sin. What that word perfect means is mature. You're mature. Because if you can demonstrate you've got control over your tongue, what James says is that's an indication you probably have good control over every other part of your body. Because that is the easiest to get out of control. So commit yourself to living God's word. First filter, is my teaching biblical and is it bold? Secondly, do my words light away or light a fire? He says, if we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. So James gives two examples at first to show the positive impact of this little thing called the tongue. The first is a horse's bit. Now, here's a picture of a horse. It's got the, the, the now in its mouth is this little piece of metal, probably lays less, less than a pound, called the bit. And the rider of that horse is able to steer that beast, which weighs hundreds of pounds more than the rider, to the left or to the right or to stop simply because that bit's in the horse's mouth. It's powerful, that little piece of metal, fraction of the weight of the horse. Similarly, he talks about a rudder of a ship or of a boat and how the pilot can turn that rudder one way or the other and this whole big boat is influenced by this little piece of wood or metal that's, that's affecting it. And his comparison is your tongue is a small piece, small part of your body, but it's like the, the bit in the mouth of a horse or the rudder of a ship. It can give direction. It can give guidance to somebody in fact, what he's saying here is your voice can be a guiding voice. Now, a guiding voice will always contend with resistance. If you think of the bit in the horse's mouth, the resistance comes from the horse. Horse has its own will. It wants to go this way when you want to go that way. And, and at first, while you're training a horse, there's a, there's a lot of work getting the horse to obey and follow its rider. But over time, the horse starts to learn, hey, I better just obey and go where my master wants me to go. And things work out just fine. The, the pilot of a boat has the resistance of the water and sometimes even the wind pushing the boat in another direction. And that rudder has to push against that resistance to get it to go the right place. I'll tell you this. If you speak God's truth, you will find resistance. There's a lot of resistance in our culture, especially nowadays, against God's truth. In fact, we don't know where, where government intrusion will come in that resistance. So many churches say, oh, we're not going to talk about gender and abortion and sexual issues and those kinds of things because they're too controversial. There's too much of a pushback. And yet we have to speak the truth in love and be that rudder that's guiding us because these are confusing times. These are turbulent waters. How are we going to get through? By the truth of God's word, by speaking that truth and letting our words be the guide to help us navigate through these very difficult, dangerous times. But there's another kind of resistance that comes, and honestly, it comes from within the speaker itself, the person talking. 
Because it's so easy to let our tongue get out of control and simply blurt out things we should never say. I mean, in a moment of anger, uh, in a moment of a quick response to somebody, we, we say something that we regret. It's like toothpaste comes out of the tube, you can never put it back in. It says in Matthew 12, 34, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. I would, I would confess, there's times in my life where I have to say, Darren, just be quiet right now. Your heart's stirring, your mind's going crazy, zip it. Do not say. That may be a conversation with, with a church person. It might be a conversation with my kids or my wife. And I gotta, I gotta just stop, weigh my words. Because what's gonna come out isn't gonna be good. It's not gonna be pretty. It's gonna cause some damage. A guiding voice will pave a way forward. Pave a way forward. That's what, that's what our tongue can do. See, what our world needs now is, is light. Light in the darkness. How do, I, how do I navigate this time that feels so hopeless? How, how can I get through this time that seems so dark in my life and so confusing? And we get to shed light into it. Think of the speeches in our culture that are revered over history that, that are remembered. And sometimes they're brief speeches. And, but, but think of Abraham Lincoln, Gettysburg Address, or, or John F. Kennedy with the speech about uh, about flying to the moon, and, and then you have Martin Luther King Jr., I have a dream. The common thing in all of them is, is kind of this unifying voice to pull us together and give us hope, give us hope for the future. Better days are ahead. Good things, we've done some great things in the past, and, and greater things are in front of us. It's a light. It's showing light on the path ahead. And that's what Jesus did. He would talk to someone and say, your past doesn't have to dictate your future. You trust in me, your whole future could be different. The demoniac, the leper, um, the, the, the widow with a, a bleeding issue. I mean, all kinds of people that Jesus encounters and he, he sheds a light on them to their eyes, so their eyes open up and they realize, I do have a future. In fact, sometimes Jesus gives them a new name. You're Peter the rock. You're gonna be a rock in my church. You're gonna be a foundation stone in my church. Jesus helps them to see a positive future. That's why the Bible is so impactful. It is, it is the voice that gets us through the darkness. And David talked about it in Psalm 119. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. It sheds the light forward where we're going. It's a guiding voice. But it doesn't have to leave a trail of destruction. Our words do not have to leave behind us dead bodies. James explains, he goes on to say how this small thing can also be very destructive. This small thing of a tongue can be like a, a flame that ignites a forest fire. And we all know that just a simple match, simple match burning can turn into this. Right? Where did all that start? What did, where did the Haman fire start? At the time in 2002, it was the most devastating fire in Colorado history. It destroyed 138,000 acres of land, burned down 133 homes, killed five firefighters. All because of an envelope supposedly put in a campfire, a letter from an estranged husband that this woman lit during a fire ban, threw down and didn't watch it go out. And that little flame caught something else on fire, which then turned into this incredible blaze. Do you ever think your words could then grow and have that much damage? That's what James is saying. Your words can start a fire that, that can't be put out. Proverbs 26 says, as charcoal to hot embers and wood to fire is a quarrelsome man for kindling strife. Some words we speak are incendiary. 
they're loaded with flames and they get people ignited and hot to where they want to respond with throwing extra fuel on the fire. I mean, you can see it online, you can see it on talk shows on TV, you know, you can see it on The View, you can see it on all these places where people start getting into hot issues and it's like people just start throwing fuel on this fire and it gets worse and worse and nothing gets resolved. People walk away feeling miserable. That's what the tongue can do and that's what we should have no part of. Occasionally I'll read a Facebook post of someone sharing a grievance about a bad experience or a pain um, they've endured and you know, honestly, I feel a little bit uneasy about it. Like, I don't know why you're sharing that with me because I don't know what I'm supposed to do with that. But people jump on and pretty soon they start commiserating with that person. Like, I feel like you feel and this is what happened to me and it's just, all this ugly stuff starts to come out. And I read this wise woman recently who said we should never share publicly our pain until you've learned the lesson from it. Because once you've learned the lesson, the emotion has died way down and it's a benefit to other people. We shouldn't just vent stuff out there that ignites other people. Weigh your words. Ask if you're shining a light or tossing a match by the words that you speak. And then the last question is, is my tongue controlled or confused? James says, for every kind of beast and bird and reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, so no human being can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. For from the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. I am incapable, he says, and you are incapable of reigning in your own tongue. He says, we can, we can um, control a lot of things. We can control a lot of beasts. I mean, think of, we can, we can train animals to do tricks, chickens, uh, dogs, horses. Uh, when Julie and I went to Thailand to visit the missionaries, you'll see next week, um, Johnny and Nangsar, they took us to an elephant park. And we got to ride elephants through the, through the forest and crossed a, a river. And then we watched these elephants all come together and play soccer, kick soccer balls. And then, and then take paintbrushes with their trunk and paint pictures. It was amazing how they've trained these elephants to do those things. And what James is saying is, yeah, it's easier to train that elephant than someone's tongue. Because it's so wild, it's so volatile, it's so full actually of evil that the human being cannot control it. He says it makes no sense at all that we come to church and praise God on Sunday morning and go home Sunday afternoon and curse the referee of the football game. So it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense that, that you're praying one morning, get in your car, and then you're yelling at the driver in the other lane on the freeway. He says that cannot be. It's as, it's as foolish as thinking you're going to pick olives from a fig tree or get fresh water from a salt water source. He says, you can't do it. And he says, it's, our, our, our tongues are confused. And if Jesus is truly Lord, we ought to have a pure kind of speech. It ought to really be controlled. And we cannot control it. So what's the hope? The help of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, one of the, one of the main things the Holy Spirit does is change the way we use our tongue. You know how I know that? Because Paul says it in Ephesians chapter 5. Here's what he says. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another. Now, this is what happens when you're filled with the Spirit, 
addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. He says when someone is influenced by alcohol, when they are drunk with wine, their speech is affected. It gets slurred. There's, there's, there's a removal of any filters. They say things they will regret later. But he says the Holy Spirit also affects your speech, but in a good way. A good way that you actually address one another in a way that benefits them spiritually. Your, your conversation with the Lord is beautiful. It's filled with praise. It's filled with gratitude. He says when the Holy Spirit fills your life, it affects your, your tongue. It's one of the main ways. One of the greatest evidences of spiritual growth is when the Holy Spirit has gotten control of a believer's tongue. Because he said, if, if the Holy Spirit can get a hold of that, everything else, piece of cake. But that's the hardest one, the tongue. And you may wonder, well, who's in control of my tongue? Well, your mouth reveals your master. What comes out of it? What comes out of your mouth? Is it continually causing disruption and destruction? Or is, do people hear your words and go, man, that, that man or that gal, man, they're so wise. They're so encouraging. They're so truthful. I love being around that person and hearing them. See, that's the way it ought to be. And Jesus said, when the Spirit's in control of you, when the Spirit's dwelling in you, he will speak through you. Listen to what he said to his disciples. He was getting ready to leave this earth. And he tells his disciples, don't fear, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to you. And then he says this. For it is not you who will speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. The Holy Spirit will actually take control of your mouth and use you. It doesn't mean your brain shuts off. It just means that now you're going to speak words guided by the Spirit that become life-giving to other people. That's why the mouth of the righteous, it says in Proverbs, is a fountain of life. Your words are life-giving to your kids, to your spouse, to your coworkers, to your neighbors, to the, to the people who are mean to you. Your words become a blessing to them. I read the story of this woman, and she was told by her doctor that she had some vocal cord issues. She needed to rest her voice for six months. Now, this is going to be hard because she's married and had six kids. So she decided she had a notepad and a whistle. Whenever she needed something, she'd blow her whistle and the kids would come and she'd write out on the notepad and show them what she wanted and, and the things get done. This went on for six months and finally after six months, the doctor said, I think you're good enough now to talk. Her husband said, I think she needs another three months in my opinion. <laughs> and then she was asked, what was it like not being able to speak? And she said, the most surprising thing was how many pieces of paper I crumpled up after I wrote on them and threw them in the trash. And she, she says, it's amazing the perspective you have when you write your words out before you ever speak them. I'll never, ever forget that. I wonder how many of us would benefit from doing that. Of stopping, maybe not writing out on paper, but rehearsing in our minds, what am I going to say to my spouse right now? I've got something building up with me, but I should not say it right now. I need, to, I need to weigh my words before I say my words. How much better off we would be and how much more our speech that flows out of these tongues would be pure. Isn't that what you want? It's what I want. It's what I want. I want my words to be life-giving 